This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger. And again, good morning to you and good morning world as we come your way from WGN West in the desert in the state of Arizona. And uh, as I mentioned, we still have a two-hour time difference because of daylight saving time in the rest of the country. So right now in Arizona, it's seven minutes after three, which is a little earlier than the uh, seven minutes after five back in the Midwest. But great to be with you again. A good week in Arizona, spending time with the Mayo doctors who may finally get my lower back pain situation cleared up. We're working on that. But in the meantime, we continue to meet with them out here. And a lot to talk about this morning and special guests who will be joining us, including a special guest for over 40 years here on the Saturday Morning Show, Jim Fazell, making his final appearance of the growing season because it is now at pretty much an end. But we'll talk to Jim about that when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Every year we ask the question, where did the spring and the summer go? Well, this year we know it. a lot of it got rained out, but here we are, the final garden visit of the season. Good morning to Jim Fazell. Good morning, Orion. Yes, the season seemed to have been very, very short, and uh, I think it really was. It got a late start, and uh, uh, it seems... To me, that uh, it's finishing a bit early. You know, I I visited with Greg Solier just a little bit uh, earlier this week to see what we could think or could expect to to happen the rest of uh, this uh, year and into next year. He said that we're going to have extremely variable weather from above normal to below normal temperatures uh, up until the the holidays. Uh, uh, Temperatures will be all over the place, as they have been up to now. But also, he says, with the moisture, he said, we're going to have our first snow before Halloween. I think everybody is predicting that right now, even though it will only be a touch. It's enough to make us notice it. Uh, then the moisture pattern should uh, be quite variable. But he's saying up until the holidays, the moisture that falls will be mostly rain instead of snow, which would indicate that temperatures are probably going to be mild up to the holidays. And he said the, the temperatures and the moisture will turn back into an old-fashioned Chicago winter with uh, low temperatures, some below normal, and and uh, snow pattern with increased amounts of snow and probably more than average for the season. So with that in mind, I say, what's new? That's Chicago yes, in, the, right. in the winter. Yeah. Well, anyway, this is Pumpkin Day week with Halloween 2019 already here fitting into our gardening season. Uh, time changes next weekend, so those of us who get up at the crack of dawn in the dark will be seeing some daylight as we get up, but we'll be going home in the dark. So those of us that need to do some gardening, we need to get out there this week and get it done while we still have long afternoons. Uh, last week we did talk about end-of-year end of garden chores. This week we're going to finish out our visit. 
Um, <clears throat> first of all, you want to get outdoors today and get out early because it's going to, there's going to be moisture this afternoon in some of our areas. So if you've got things to do out there, do them early. Head for the community farmer's market. You'll be probably your last chance to do so. Uh, most of them close after Halloween. And be sure you stock up on the items you need for storage, like the apples and the pumpkins and winter squash and so forth. Also, dry onions and potatoes. Incidentally, our garden gave up very early this year, so we didn't have items for processing. A lot of folks were in the same situation. So if you still want to make some tomato sauce so that you can have chili on those cold winter days and maybe peppers, uh, that needs to be done. You can stew the tomatoes down or you can freeze them and dice them and freeze them. Uh, peppers, what we like to do is to dice them up, put them on with a cookie sheet, and uh, freeze them, then put them in a plastic bag so we have them all winter. Um, so there are things that you can do as far as the garden is concerned. There, Even if you don't have a garden, you can pick these things up. Also, while you're out at the garden center, remember you're going to need garden supplies like the straw and the rose cones and even some bird seed. Uh, some of these places also have tools, and they have garden books and magazines, so you can do some perusing while you're out there as well. Now, when you get home, it's time to finish mowing the grass. Now, it may be it may be growing more uh, as the season progresses, especially if we have some mild weather. Uh, keep mowing it as long as it keeps growing, and keep picking up the leaves. You don't want them to smother the grass. Incidentally, one of the things I like to do, if you can figure out when the last mowing is, is to edge along the walks, the curbs, and around the beds and so forth. makes it a lot neater for the winter, and it looks a lot better if you don't have snow cover. Uh, you want to install screens, if you can, along walks and drives where you have salting from roadways and so forth. These screens, if you put... Uh, burlap on vertical stakes and stake them along the beds and the and the uh, walks and so forth. This will keep the salt out of the lawn and the beds so that you don't have salt damage. Uh, finish getting the evergreens ready for winter. You need to protect them from sun and wind. Uh, burlap screens very well work very well on the lower ones, and you can use anti-desiccants on them as well. And those can be gotten at the garden centers. Uh, bundle those that are going to be exposed to snow, especially from the eaves. If you have snow that's, that's uh, going to slide off of your roof onto the plants that are down below, you need to protect them. And we've even some folks seen some folks that will install plywood snow sheds over their evergreens to protect them from being broken down by the snow sliding off the roof. Uh, finish pulling up all of your spent annuals, your garden plants, and cut off the tops and perennials and so forth. And you want to put those clippings and so forth in that open bed that you dug in your garden after we talked to you last week about it. Of course, all of us did that, as you know. Anyway, yes. um, if you still have stuff that is in your garden, you want to pick that off. We're going to get into some freeze freezing weather. You need to pick the tender stuff like the tomatoes and peppers. But the coals, um, the carrots, the beets, and so forth can be left in the ground until it freezes because they may last until December, and the colder it gets, the sweeter they get. Still time to do some planting. Bulbs can be planted, peonies, and absolutely trees and shrubs. This is the time of year when you want to do that. Now, when you finished all those outdoor chores, you want to take care of the things that you've used all season to do them. You need to wash the mud off of everything, and it tends to accumulate. Do a good job of that. Get the mud off. Take a scrub brush and a bucket if you need to. Then you need to sharpen things like the hose, the shovels, and the spades. They're a lot easier to use when they're sharp. And not only that, it's a lot safer if they're sharp because you don't have to force them to get them to do what they're supposed to do. And when you get done uh, sharpening and, and washing them off, uh, wipe the metal parts with an oily rag. This will keep them from rusting over the wintertime. Also, uh, check for the needed repairs. Uh, did somebody drive over that whole handle during the, when it, was, it fell off the right rack in the garage and you need to replace it? 
need to do that during the winter time because you're going to need it in the spring. And it's very discouraging when you get to get your tools out and find that one of them isn't going to be able to be used because it's broken. Uh, which reminds me, you might want might want to build a storage rack in the garage someplace where you can keep these tools up off the ground, and so they'll be where you where you can find them when you need them. Uh, hoses need to be drained and rolled up, and you need to store them where they won't freeze. Keep in mind, if we have a very open winter and you have new plants like new evergreens and so forth, you might need a hose to get out there and water them later in the season. Uh, that's particularly true when we have one of these winters where it gets cold and then very warm but with no snow cover. And hang those things up or put them on a hose reel so that they don't bend because the bend will cause a crack in them and you'll have a hose that leaks. Uh, collect all the chemicals and put them in a protected spot where they won't freeze. Uh, we build a cabinet in the basement that has a screen on it so it gets a little bit of air and it has a lock in case any of the great-grandkids come around. Uh, discard the old bottles with outdated model, uh, labels on them, and you need to check with your disposal people to see how to do that. If you have to save the stuff, but the bottle or the can is is uh, in bad shape, don't put this stuff in any kind of a pop bottle or anything that would remind anybody that there might be food in there, and attach the full label. <clears throat> Uh, the, the labels normally will peel off of these, pull them off, and uh, scotch tape them or something on that on that uh, replacement container. Uh, after your last mowing, you want to winterize your mower, run it out of gas, and add winterizer if you need to. Uh, clean off all the oil and the clippings. Remove the spark plug. I uh, generally do that and squirt a little bit of oil in the cinder, cylinder and turn it over a time or two. Then have the blade sharpened if it's a rotary. If you have a four-cycle, drain and refill the crankcase, uh, remove and replace all the filters, and put a new spark plug in it. Uh, while you're at that, check out your snowblower. If you didn't service it last year, it needs to be done now so that when that first plowable snow comes along, it'll be ready to go. Uh, if you have an electric snowblower, make sure the cords are okay. If you have a, a cordless one, check the batteries to make sure they're charged up. Um, then a uh, few last things, order firewood for the fireplace, set up the bird feeders and buy some bird feed. Uh, then take a walk around your property and check everything. Make sure uh, to put your final entries in your garden journal and record what worked, but also what did not work and finish up your garden map. And before it gets too nasty, put up your holiday decorations on a nice day. You'll be glad you did. Uh, when it, when uh, Thanksgiving comes along and you can turn them on, then retire indoors. Build yourself a fire in the fireplace. You just want got firewood. Have a nice piece of pumpkin pie or apple pie. Read a gardening book or the gardening catalogs. They're already starting to come. Then you'll be comfortable knowing your garden's ready for whatever winter brings. So have uh, an enjoyable time this winter. Uh, we've enjoyed these weekly visits, and I want to thank you, Orion, for making them possible. And thank you, folks, for listening. We'll see you next year when the crocuses are in bloom. And we'll look forward to that, and it'll be here before you know it. We'll get rid of winter, and spring will arrive, and uh, a lot to talk about. So we'll plan on doing this next year, Jim, okay? That's okay with me, you bet. Okay, our visit with Jim Fazell. He's our specialist in ornamental horticulture that has an answer for just about anything and everything that's growing. And it's always a pleasure to have him with us here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 21 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday Morning Show, and I hope you have a good, fun Saturday in store for you. Lots of sports, baseball, and of course football, and hockey, and 
all that stuff that makes life interesting when we can't spend it outdoors and on the patio enjoying the outdoor summer. Right now, we're going back uh, earlier this month to Madison, Wisconsin. World Dairy Expo held the first week of October. And uh, the past several weeks, we've shared with you visits of important people, important to me at least, who uh, were honored at this year's World Dairy Expo. And today, we meet the Dairyman of the Year. The Dairyman of the Year is from California, from Burl, California. And he is Steve Maddox of Burl, California, who sat down and talked to me about his dairy operation in California. Well, I have a very large, you know, fairly large dairy, uh, 3,900 head of mature cows, 3,300 head of cows milking every day. We got 4,000 head of heifers and about 1,200 breeding bulls that we sell to commercial dairymen for natural service. We're probably the largest registered Holstein herd in the United States, if not the world. And uh, we market our genetics through embryos. Uh, we have an embryo transfer lab that makes eight to 10,000 embryos a year for us and, and for uh, friends and, and, and customers. We also sell bull semen and sell cattle. And we've exported cattle over the years and, and uh, um, have friends all over the world. How many countries would uh, your semen or embryos uh, travel to? Well, um, you know, if you go over the last 40, 45 years, we, we've exported cattle to uh, cattle, embryos, or semen to over 50 countries around the world. And uh, I've only visited, you know, maybe a handful. My father made, made most of those trips back in his day. And, uh, and so we have a lot of my foreign friends actually traveled here for the award ceremony tomorrow night. Well, congratulations on that, because uh, it's a great honor to be picked Dairyman of the Year here at World Dairy Expo. It's very humbling, because you don't do all this stuff for awards. You do it because you're trying to improve the industry, trying to strengthen uh, uh, the uh, efficiency and, and the chances of success for all of my friends in the industry. The strength of the industry is not the large farms, it's the small farmers and, and the people that are working every day. and planting their corn, milking their cows, feeding their calves, running their kids at school. My size, I can specialize people, and, and, and I've got some good help that allows me to uh, try to make the industry a better place. And then let me talk about animal welfare, because that constantly is in the news. How do you teach employees and other people in your industry to do a good job? We do intensive training upon hiring the people. Then We do a review every three months. With, with different aspects, uh, general and also the uh, uh, specifics, because we do film the employee. You will actually film them doing their jobs, and uh, it's it's constant. I'm only as good as the people that are hands on my cows, yeah. and you'll find going across the United States, the closer you, the cows are to the owner every day, the better care they normally get. Um, I'm on the technical writing committee for the farm program for animal welfare and trying to make sure there's a little common sense in it that we don't let the academics tell us what perfect is when good is good enough. But we have a lot of uh, anti-animal agriculture people that are going through the animal welfare or now they're starting to go through some of the environmental issues to try to uh, decrease or get rid of animal agriculture. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. I'd be interested in your thoughts on what would happen in this country if we eliminated animal agriculture. What would that do to 
Well, you've got these people going beyond meat and the, and the fake milk products or, or the nut juices or the bean juices and all that, saying it's more sustainable. But what they don't realize is that the majority of what a cow eats is not edible by humans, nor humans want to eat it. And cattle are so good at converting those marginal feeds to uh, keeping them out of landfills and into a high quality protein, high, high nutrient dense products that, you know, it, even in a vegetarian diet, if you have a good base of dairy products, it makes healthy eating simple. And that, that really is important. The love of cows in my family didn't come from my grandfather who was a cotton farmer, it came from my grandmother who came of age during the 30s when food wasn't as plentiful. They lived on a hill. Yeah, they may have had a still in Oklahoma and they had broom corn to sell to try to earn money and they picked cotton during the year. But she loved it that those cows could go out and eat whatever they could find and still provided food on the table for her family and her kids. And, and that's a strong story that's not out there anymore. Cattle are, are great. We don't get full impact for the environmental benefit of animal agriculture, and we should. We don't tell a good enough story and don't fill it in. Some of the uh, Beyond Meat people are leaving out. They're, what they're saying isn't always scientifically backed up. We've also got the emotion because we're passionate about our animals and our cows. Steve Maddox of Burl, California, honored this year at World Dairy Expo in Madison, Wisconsin, as the Dairyman of the Year. And I think after listening to him, you can understand why he received that title this year. Coming up, news headlines on the Saturday Morning Show. And welcome back on 720 WGN. Roger Batter still with you as we're trying to uh, see why the um, the ionosphere is playing tricks with our uh, connection with Orion Samuelson at WGN West. We will uh, check in with his Orion says, first of all. It's a challenge that never seems to go away. Well, at least for me, and that is proper food labeling. Now, we've gone through the milk labeling controversy, finally deciding that if a beverage does not contain milk or a dairy product, it should not be labeled as milk. It should be labeled as a beverage. But now we're going through it again with meat that does not contain M-E-A-T, meat. People call it fake meat, laboratory meat, plant-based And it's interesting the various views we get on labeling. I'd like to share with you an experience my wife recently had at a local supermarket. She went to the meat counter to get real meat burgers. And right alongside the real meat was plant-based meat. The Impossible Burger or whatever you want to name it. She spoke to someone in the meat department and said, Sir, I believe that product does not belong in the meat section of this supermarket. It belongs in the vegetable section. And he asked her, What do you mean? My wife responded, Well, it's not real meat. It is plants with additives made to look, taste, smell, and cook like meat. But it is not meat. Since it's not meat, I believe it belongs in the vegetable department where vegans can find it. Well, she didn't make any progress there, but it's logical. I call it laboratory meat because it's not real meat. 
And I think it's time that we create a labeling process that will adequately describe the product you're buying at the meat counter or any other food counter. I am still fascinated by people who do not want to eat real meat, want the plant-based burger to look, cook, smell, and taste like beef. If you don't want to eat beef or pork or other meat, that's all right with me. It's your right to choose what you wish to eat in this country because we have the ability to provide for everyone's individual tastes or diets. So let's get it right when we do the labeling. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. Thank you very much, Orion. And again, a reminder to those tuned in, uh, Orion is in WGN West in uh, not quite sunny Arizona yet because the sun hasn't come up. Uh, we're trying to establish contact with him. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, but uh, after the break, we're going to hear from that rascal, Max Armstrong. He'll have a special market interview for you. Sitting in the studio with us this weekend, joining us for the first time ever, Ted Seifert from Zaner Financial Services, Zaner Hedge. You, you're in charge of the Zaner Hedge division, correct? Yeah, that's right, Max. I run Zaner Ag Hedge, and I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Here in the midst of the harvest season, we continue to make a little progress, but we're reminded as weekly crop bulletins come out that there's still quite a bit in the field out there, especially a lot of the corn crop yet. Yes. What absolutely. strikes you about that? Yeah, we, you know, we have a lot of corn and soybeans still out in the field. We are... It's been a difficult year from start to finish, and we've had a lot of weather. Recently, we've had a lot of wind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've had a lot of snow. So we've got conditions that aren't really great for harvest, obviously, but it's also really not that fantastic for crops. And there's a lot of questions this year, more so than really any year that we've had in the, in the recent history. We really want to get in and get into this harvest and find out more what we have as far as yields are concerned. We want to know more about harvested acreage, but the market's having to wait for that, wait for this information. So what you've seen in the last 10 days or so uh, since, you know, we had the USDA um, WASDE report, the October report, and weather and trade deal and everything like that, we've really been in a lack of news and in sort of a waiting time frame, waiting period, waiting to hear more about yields, waiting to hear more about trade deals, things like that. And so we've really kind of just traded sideways for now. Uh, we are we will likely break out one way or the other. The question is really which way. And a lot of that will be dictated about by what happens with the trade deal, what happens with weather. Um, but in my mind, I, I really do feel like there's a lot more upside potential for corn and soybeans. I do think that the production numbers that the USDA is using currently might be a little bit on the high end. Uh, I, I think there's room to come down and harvested acreage, both for corn and soybeans, especially with the weather that we've had in the last three weeks. And I would also say that for the soybean side in particular, I think the USDA at this point is now too low on the export or, yeah, their export figure that they're using. Because look at the amount of, of soybeans that China and other countries have bought just in the last three weeks. I think the USDA is going to have to add at least 75 million bushel to their soybean export number. And if they do that, you know, that takes that 460 million bushel carryover that they have right now. That'll knock it down below a 400, you know, something, somewhere in the 300 range. And then if you start talking about taking production off the table – all of a sudden, we get into a rather tight scenario for the soybeans, which is a sharp contrast to what we were looking at back in June and July when we were talking about a billion-plus bushel carryover for soybeans, which now could be somewhere in the two to 300 million bushel range. So the narrative, the story has changed for soybeans dramatically. We've gotten back up to the spring highs. But again, like we just talked about, in the spring, we were talking about a billion bushel carryover. Now we're talking between, in my mind, between two and 400 million. 
it's a different story. So I, I think there's more upside potential here for soybeans and, and could be pretty dramatic. So you're friendly, both corn and beans. I am. I'm not bullish, but friendly. Yes, I've been friendly beans since June or July. Uh, you know, when when we were talking about um, you know, really late planting as we we're getting into June, a lot of people thought we were going to really push soybean acres. But keep in mind, at the time, you know, we were hearing more about MFP 2.0, and we knew that 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 was going to get paid out on acreage regardless of what crop got planted. So between that and insurance, it made a lot of sense for guys to go in and continue to plant corn. And and in my mind, the the government bought. 10 to 15 million acres of corn acres by doing it that way because we didn't know what was going to happen with prevent plant. And I was really worried about what soybean acres might do. And I was really worried about what that really late planted soybeans, how how they would yield. So I've been bullish soybeans, but I just continue to get more and more bullish soybeans. However, as harvest has progressed, as I'm hearing more feedback coming from my farmers uh, of what's going on with the corn harvest, I'm actually really surprised. I was thinking that we were going to hear some better yield numbers than what most guys were expecting. And we have heard a little bit of that. But really, uh, there's a lot of guys that have been really disappointed. Uh, they already had some fairly low expectations, but it's actually been even maybe a little bit worse. So I'm getting more and more friendly for corn as well, especially since we've been so, or the USDA has been so aggressive at taking the the demand side of the equation down, exports in particular. I think that gets better. I'm watching the dollar. I think the dollar has some downside potential from here. That can help our exports. Once South America runs out of their crop, I I think more of the world is going to come to us for our corn. I think things get better for corn for a time. And really, if you you look at basis across the country, and obviously it's going to be local, but if you look at basis across the country, it's really very good, even with some fairly good corn prices right now. And that suggests that that corn just might not be out there. Um, you know, I have a lot of end users that are just saying really smart guys and guys that would normally never say something like this, but saying, we don't know where the corn is. We can't find it. Our producers that we normally source grain from say they just don't have it and we believe them. So the USDA says we have this huge amount of on-farm corn storage, but where is it? So it makes you wonder if we've maybe overstated production in the last few years. It really makes you wonder if that corn's actually out there. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm, I'm not saying that that's the case. Um, but it has been a struggle to source corn for the end user. And, and that really gives corn a good reason to stay strong. And basis at some point might lead the rally, especially if we get some strength in soybeans. Sometimes I wonder if the social media picks and clips tend to over-dramatize the situation a little bit. But it's been hard to miss all of these shots of ruts in the field, down to crop in the field, snow in the field. And I'm not just talking about uh, North Dakota and Minnesota. We tend to forget a little bit that prairie province of the uh, region of Canada has really been slammed too, have they not, Ted? I mean, there's there's a lot of canola out there that looks ugly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the canola crop is uh, spring wheat. I mean, the canola, wheat, corn, Canada is is really had a hard time. And, and like you said, our, our northern uh, plains, plains and prairies, our northern Midwest, it's a big area. It's a big area, and it affects a lot of crops. You know, So that's something that I think a lot of people aren't taking into consideration. We generally don't lose a lot of crop in the field. This, this is a very different year, though, most likely, is it not? It's been a very different year from the get-go, and this is another year where we might have a hard time getting out and harvesting a lot of these crops. Canada, North Dakota, Minnesota. Uh, <laughs> if we get a hard freeze and, and we have sort of a sheet of ice underneath that mud, 
it's never really going to go away until it's really just too darn cold. You know, so that, that might carry over. We had some of that in Western Illinois um, last year, but this is, this is sort of unprecedented. Like this could be a really big deal. And if you go back to the spring, it took a long time for the market to really realize the, the delayed planting concerns that we had and really catch on to that rally that we had. I feel like we're seeing that same thing again. This is a delayed reaction. Eventually, I think that comes more to the market. Right now, the market doesn't seem terribly concerned by it. But again, I think that's a developing story. For all of the whipsawing that we've seen in the market because of news from China or lack of news or tweets or uh, the, the various back and forth of negotiations, we notice that the commodity markets do not operate uh, in a solo fashion here. Mm-hmm. There's the equity market move that takes place generally as well. Mm-hmm. So commodities don't really, they're not really following the equities. The commodities have a lot at stake here, right, in terms of, What's going on and reacting to any Chinese news? Oh, absolutely. And it, it depends on the commodities you look at. But soybeans, hogs in particular, cotton is another one. Uh, we are very, very sensitive. Now, the, the trade disruption has been so substantial. So substantial. But at the same time, I would say that, you know, sometimes we'll hear positive news. Uh, for example, earlier in the week, or really to start the week, we heard that China was approving another 10 million metric tons of soybeans to be bought by their state-owned soybean crushers. And that was a really good, I mean, Sunday night, we were right back up to the recent highs. But we had a really hard time holding on to those gains, and we've never really recovered from that uh, throughout the week. And you got to think that's because, you know, it's just an approval, right? And we know that, that China has recently gone to South America, both Brazil and Argentina, to buy, buy soybeans. Our dollar has started to bounce off of its recent low, uh, so that's sort of a little bit of a crimp as well. Uh, so just an approval doesn't mean that they are purchasing. And then we saw export sales here this week. They weren't, China wasn't in, not in the way that they have been the last few weeks. So that's a bit of a disappointment. So hearing the news is one thing, but seeing it is another. And, and that the market really wants to see this happen. It's the same thing with the trade deal or the announced trade deal, a phase one trade deal. We want to see that signed. We want to see results from that. And when we see that, then we can really get going with a rally and, and the strength and, and, and things like that. But we've been burnt on this before. We've seen these trade deals come to the table and get ripped up last, last minute. We don't want to let that happen again. We don't want to be fooled again. So don't be surprised to see an immediate reaction to some kind of Chinese news. But the follow-through, the devil is in the details. The devil's in the details. And if this deal gets signed down in Chile in a couple of weeks... That's really going to have a very big effect on the commodities that are very much affected by Chinese buying, soybeans, hogs in particular. If that happens, then we can really rejoice and, and get excited about that. We're coming up to news time here on WGN Radio. But before we get there, our thanks to all of you for joining us here every Saturday on the Saturday Morning Show. Thanks to Bob Ferguson, who does the engineering while I'm talking to you from Arizona and Max is talking to you from North Carolina. We indeed cover the world and cover the planet in the broadcast. Quick look before we say goodbye on where the markets ended yesterday. At the Board of Trade, December wheat was up just a quarter of a cent at 517 and three quarters. December corn ended a penny higher at 386 and three quarters. And November soybeans uh, hit pretty hard yesterday, down ten and a half cents a bushel. They ended the day at nine dollars twenty and a quarter cents. Turning to livestock futures, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the February lean hog contract gained twenty-five cents a hundredweight. It ended at seventy-three thirty-five. 
October live cattle gained $1.67 yesterday, ending at $111.97, and the October feeder cattle contract up half a dollar at $145.70. So that's about our time. Looking forward to next week when the National FFA Convention gets underway in Indianapolis. That'll open Wednesday, October 30th, and it will go through Saturday, November 2nd. That will be at Indianapolis, the National FFA Convention and Expo. A great event. About 67,000 FFA members will be in Indianapolis next week. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.